so many people hate their own response to the following question. So what does your company actually do? Because in this moment, my friend, you have three options, okay? Number one, pitch slap your prospect. Number two, fumble your way through a long-winded response. And number three, deliver a punchy elevator story that sparks intrigue. Now, if you're nodding your head at number three, but you're like, hold up, I don't even know where to begin, then hey, don't worry. I've got your back. All right, head on down to www.theraviregiani.com forward slash your elevator story to unlock your very own free elevator story script, template, and guide. Welcome to the Influential Communicator Podcast, where my mission is to help B2B salespeople sell more by becoming authentic storytellers and impactful communicators without suppressing who they truly are or their values. I'm your host, Ravi Rajani, and without further wait, let's get into it. Some of the best highs I've made didn't look perfect on paper. How can I find more diamonds in the rough? Now, those are the exact words that my guest hears on a daily basis inside of her role as the COO of a spy ship. Her job is to give future sellers the competence and confidence that they need to break into tech sales without having followed a traditional career path. Why, you might be thinking? Well, so SaaS and tech companies in 2023 and beyond can prevent themselves from overlooking world-class talent just because their story isn't linear. And today, ladies and gents, I've pinned down the Christine Rogers to specifically talk to us about how to break into a career in tech sales by boosting your charisma. Welcome to the show, my friend. What's good? Hi, Robbie. What an intro. That was awesome. Talk about charisma. (laughs) Yikes. You know what's so funny about that? If you asked me, like, Christine, do you think you have charisma? I'd be like, no. Because the way I would define it is, you know, people that like love to be on stage, like you, you know, you're all over the place. Like, it's just like you feel that energy. And I don't know, but sometimes I feel like we might all be looking at it a little differently. And so it what a delight to have this conversation. It was kind of a surprise that that was what we were going to be talking about, but I love it. It's great. Well, there's a really cool book by a lady called Dr. Zoe Chance. And I think I mentioned her probably on every show, but she's got a really cool book called Influences Your Superpower. And she really breaks down charisma, what she believes it means to be charismatic. It's incredible. And, you know, you tick off a lot of those points to or character traits rather for somebody to be charismatic. But I just want to start off by saying I'm sorry, because I heard that last week you had a really tragic incident happened at work. <laughs> You know, somebody, you had a huge fight, right? With a coworker that stole your lunch. And I just want to know, was it a HR incident? Was it okay? Tell us what happened. You are, (laughs) my dog, Bruce, ate my lunch off the counter yesterday. Or, well, that was not yesterday, last week. And I, yeah, wrote about it because, you know, so many times on LinkedIn, we're hearing naming and shaming. And, you know, if you're upset about something (laughs) and you did, you did. So I just thought it would be a little bit funny because, you know, we've all had moments like that in the workplace where somebody has done something that was a little bit nutty and he just stole it right off the the counter and ate it and was not even one minute apologetic about it. No, completely unapologetic. He was so cute, man. You know, the funniest thing is in the picture, his eyes were like, listen, 
Stop following me. No, I, I did it. I know I did it. I know I did it. No, I know. Uh, like you didn't want to look. You didn't want to look at me at all. He's cute, man. He's cute. Good old Bruce. But listen, speaking of storytelling and non-linear stories, here's something I don't think many people know about you. Okay, now room for baby. Right. So you started this mm-hmm. in 2007, and I had no idea that you know you had been an entrepreneur in a different season of your life, and you still are, you know, but in a different sense. But you went from nine years in marketing to going out on your own for a couple of years as an entrepreneur. And I'm curious, what inspired that shift? And would you ever go back? Yeah. Oh, I love that. So yeah, I was in insurance, sales, marketing, all of those things. And then, you know, what inspired it was I got, I got pregnant. I had a kid and I was in this little store and it had, you know, it was just a small little room for baby was a small little store. And right then I was like, wow, this is powerful. Like all these women are here and they're getting help and they're getting guidance. And the woman who owned it at the time, she, I said, are you, this is such a cute store. And I didn't even know this was here before. And she said, I said, what is it that you do? She goes, I tell people and so many women have questions about what this actually, what they actually need. And so many people convince them to buy things they don't. So I help them. And I was like, wow, I love that. Would you ever be interested in taking on a partner? And she's like, yeah, I have no idea like how to make this better and how to make it bigger and what to do. And I'm like, oh, I'm really good at that. So actually I bought into that business and we had it for a couple of years. And I, it was so hard being a small business owner. And so really my transition from that, when we couldn't withstand kind of that recession right about that time, we had to close it into technology was because the first technology company I worked with was around small businesses. So I understood it from a completely different side and thought, man, if I had really understood how to use automation, how to talk to my customers more, and how to be a little bit more organized with this solution, I probably would have been able to maybe, you know, save my business. And so I had a deep passion also coming from kind of failure around it because I had to get okay with the fact that I couldn't, I failed. And when I actually leaned into that and started telling that story to other prospects, like, I know what this feels like. I have been there before. And I didn't do that for a few months because I was too ashamed of it. But once I actually leaned into it and started saying like, I understand where you're at because I've been there before. And had I done this, I think I would have given my myself a better shot. So like, this is something, I mean, truly... I had lived it so I could feel empathetic. But I remember the moment I finally shared that story with a prospect, it was a shift for me. It's a really interesting quote, but I think it's Robin Roberts. I'm not sure the news anchor, but she says, make your mess your message, right? Make your mess your message. And it's so powerful is what you just mentioned there is you took a moment which you may have felt a vulnerability hangover of if you had shared it straight away, but you took time to process it. And then when you were ready or rather willing to share it, it inspired your prospect to take action because they were like, hold up, she knows me, she gets me, I feel understood, which which is so cool when it comes to storytelling, right? It is. And also being yourself, thinking, I think we all have moments that we're ashamed of. And, you know, it's interesting because we talk about mistakes and, and like we talk about it on LinkedIn, like, oh, you're going to make mistakes. Life is messy. The ones that are the messiest you don't talk about. We talk about the like kind of clean messes where it's like, my life is messy. You know, I really stepped in it the other day, you know, so, you know, but no, it's like the ones that you're not talking about, like where somebody called you out on something privately because it was hurtful. 
And that you're not talking about that. You're not talking about those moments, the actual messy moments that you're kind of ashamed of. And that's okay. We don't always have to talk about everything. But I think that there is something there that when we can share something that is a little bit more experiential, where we share we share a moment, we share our energy, and you feel it. You feel it differently. And you know, when I was scrolling through LinkedIn before doing my research on you, there are three things that came up to mind, okay? Which is why I think you're charismatic. Number one is you're a great storyteller. And if you listen to your previous podcast episodes, you know, when I was doing that, you told the same story about how you got involved with the business. You know, it was very interesting to to hear the way you did that. And it was it was really cool. And the second thing was unapologetically self-expressed. I feel like when you communicate, you're not using language that you wouldn't use, like between between you and I right now, like I can feel your energy when you're communicating. And then the final thing is, is probably hard to qualify and quantify on a platform like LinkedIn, but I just get the vibe probably through association of who you surround yourself by, but I just get the vibe that you're a great listener. And I really think those three characteristics amongst many others are what makes somebody charismatic. So for you, you know, to really set up this conversation, could you tell us a little bit about the model at Aspireship and the journey that a future seller would go down and a company if they want to hire that future seller, just so we can set up the conversation? Yeah. So what we offer is an online course for both customer success and sales. So both of those pieces there. It is on demand. So anybody can come and learn. And a lot of that is absolutely free to the candidate until they get to the point where they are ready to say, I want to be assessed and then added to the hiring network. And it's a nominal fee, one-time fee. So we're not really looking for the most part to monetize the candidate side. We want people to have a little skin in the game if they want to be saying like, yep, I'm ready for the next step. Okay. Then if they can successfully pass the assessment, then we will introduce them to companies that on the other side, I've sold our mission and kind of contradictory to the established way of thinking that like I can bring wonderful, talented, competent individuals to the table that may not look right on paper, but you don't you don't have to look at paper. You can watch them do the work. And so on the other side, we have companies that will log in and watch our candidates in product do, you know, do role plays and things like that. So it's so it's a more holistic view of a person versus just what they've done in, in bullet points. That's cool. That's cool. You know, I had a VP of sales say, sorry, somebody in enablement, a VP of enablement say to me a couple of weeks ago, this is like word for word. They said, I want my salespeople to tell stories with swagger. And I was like, oh my mm. God. Like, as in, I've never heard somebody say, I say that, but I think, do, do my ideal client, do they use that language? I was like, that's dope. So I'm curious for you, do people, do sales leaders ever say, Christine, I want to find charismatic salespeople. Do they ever use that word or not? I think sometimes, sometimes I've heard that it's a little bit, I would say a little old school, like where you'll hear somebody say like, I want somebody that's really charismatic. And because I think we've all learned that sometimes a real quiet, introverted person can still be great at sales. So in some areas, it's really important to be charismatic and bring that energy in some sales processes, I would say it's not necessary. Maybe it's a very analytical sale or a very you know, data oriented type of environment. And sometimes that can be, I have a client right now, analytics software. Everybody they sell to is a business analyst. 
probably don't need somebody that is as charismatic. Yes, have positive like vibes, have good energy, bringing some energy to any conversation they're having, but probably don't need, and it might actually irritate if you tried to bring charisma to that specific ICP. So I think that I have heard that in certainly in what if the target is a salesperson or a sales leader or a CEO or, you know, different things like that, or sometimes even consumers, I mean, want that, you know, if you're a B2C, you want some energy and charisma in that conversation as well. So it translates for sure, for sure. So you mentioned earlier, your definition of charisma was traditionally somebody who was a performer and somebody who's on stage, for example. And it's really fascinating. I think you said, you know, and we can go back and forth over our definitions of charisma and what we think that really looks like today. But it sounds as though you feel like a charismatic seller is an extrovert or are you saying it doesn't matter? I would say, here's what I think. Whatever you are, whoever you are, when you bring more of that to the conversation, so that's going to translate in positive momentum and energy. So if someone is very analytical, if someone is that, but then they bring, you know, like they get excited by the conversation that they're having and they bring some charisma. It's almost like unintentional because we're like in our zone, you know, and you know, when you're in the zone, you, you feel it every time you're on stage, when you, all of a sudden you're there and you probably can't even remember what you said all the time. Cause you are in the zone. And I think that when I'm thinking about charisma, it's not necessarily an extrovert or introvert. It's like, how quickly can we align who they naturally are with the roles that they're doing and actually make that magic happen called like lock in to the zone, you know? And I think that when you get there, man, that's where you start to really see some magic happen, you know, where it's because you're watching someone thrive. Like that's the definition of thriving rather than like just adapting and doing they're thriving in the role. And if I said, how, how did you do that? They probably couldn't even explain it because it's their native genius. You know, that's where they're at. So I guess I I think it's about really finding where people are going to do very, very well and giving them that opportunity more often. And I think you'll see I've moved people from like, for instance, selling roles to sales engineer roles. Fascinating to watch the difference. I've also had sales engineers that were basically closing everyone's deals. And as soon as I said, you know what, let's give you a quota carrying role. I know you've been nervous about it but you're doing a great job at this and you're bringing in all these deals, you know, then you see them just shift and they like, they really show up as themselves. And then guess what happens? Performance happens, you know, positive momentum happens and they're really enjoying it. Ah, okay. Okay. So for you, from what I'm hearing, correct me if I'm wrong, it's not about introvert, extrovert. It's about creating and facilitating an environment that extracts the most magnetic version of you where you get to become who you are versus who others want you to be. And as a result, you shine. Yes, that's what I think. Ding, 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 100 points. Okay, cool. Okay, I like this. I like this. Okay, so inside of the world today, right? It's quite messy, especially in the world of sales. Breaking into tech sales, what is one thing in accordance to that definition that you've just set for your version of charismatic, what is one thing that you teach inside of Aspireship that you wish sellers locked onto more? Because if they did, it would help them break into sales in the coming year. I think one of the things that's that we talk about, it's near the end of the coursework, but we talk a lot about understanding that this is not 
a lone wolf type of environment typically. Like if you have to see this differently, because in organizations that we support, this is a team sport. And I have never known a great salesperson to be 100% all the time. It's just not going to happen. But if you have that expectation, that is going to be a lot to carry. And also, it takes some humility to know that there will be a time that you don't do well and that your team will have your back and that you need to also show up well for your team. And so it is, I think salespeople have this understanding or in the market have always been seen as extremely selfish. And I don't think that's the case. When I look at teams that I've led or teams that I'm I'm working with now, you know, the best teams, they see themselves as a team. And so when you, you know, you'll see reps that are hitting over quota, not even hitting the next accelerator, but they're hitting over quota, which means they didn't sandbag, which means they did it for everyone else. They did it for the team, not just for themselves. And you know what? That shows me a beautiful culture of people that actually get it, that we're all going to do our very best. And sometimes my best is going to look like everybody else's 100%. Sometimes it's going to look like 60%, but I'm doing my best as much as I can right now. And I'm showing up well. And I love those teams where you see it and you can see it in the numbers. You'll see, you know, the pipeline, you'll see it right at the end of the quarter of the month. If they're only going to put the deals in that are going to get them to the next things, you know, you can start to see those, uh, (laughs) you can see that behavior, but when everybody just does a little more, it's kind of powerful because then we know like, wow, that was amazing. That didn't even benefit them near as much as it, as it could have, if they would have started off their quarter strong, you know, with that deal, cause they, they held it. We all know this happens, but actually new people don't know that coming into sales. So if we have like teachers or, or, you know, hospitality people or different things like that, people that don't know that, that are taking our coursework, that's why we try to talk about it is this is a team sport and it's a beautiful thing when it is. And that's how you get high performance, really high performance when everybody is looking out for each other a little bit. Cut, pause, or whatever we need to say for me to get your attention. Because before we get back to the show, I have some breaking news. Okay, listen, ladies and gents, feature selling is dead and story selling is alive. Because if you really want to build trust, stand out and close more deals in a recession, then you need to try something new so you can drive your company to a world of efficiency and profitability. And that's exactly why I've opened up many slots this year for different companies to partner with me for implementing my story selling framework inside of their sales process. Now, the outcomes are all the good stuff. I'm talking about increasing average order value, collapsing time inside of your sales cycle and driving win rates. But more importantly, transforming your team to sell in a way that really focuses on human connection. And hey, that's what I'm all about. So if you're nodding your head right now, then head on down to www.therabbyrajani.com forward slash contact to book your complimentary discovery call to see if there's alignment. And hey, if there is great, if there's not, that's cool too. I'll see you on the other side. Oh, I like that. So for you, what you're saying is going back to this charisma piece is being selfless versus selfish is one way to be charismatic and be seen as desirable in the eyes of employers. The question then is, is 
How can somebody showcase that they're a team player versus the classic, well, I'm a great team player because this one time in school, I was in the football team. You know what I mean? Like there's all these weird examples. So how, how can you show that if you don't have a track record? I think one of the things that I always ask in interviews is who are you on a team? And so if someone doesn't ask that, you could still answer that question. So when they ask you about culture and they're talking to you about kind of how things work as a team, you know, or or if you have the chance to ask a question, you know, at the end when they say, would you have any questions for us? What you could say is, well, generally, like on any team I've been on, whether that's relationally like near sales or not, you can still help draw some lines here between the points. For instance, at my restaurant, you know, when I'm a server, every time at the beginning of the shift, I'm the one who gives us all a little, all right, so we're going to do this. I'm that person on the team, or I'm the person on the team that notices when my person, you know, when my, my teammate is down and I go talk to them. So how do you all manage teams? How do you decide who goes on teams? That's a way you can kind of interject who you are on the team. Who do you show up as? Because then you can also see what their thought is about team. Because there are certain environments where they don't, that's not important to them. But most great, strong sales organizations and even customer success organizations, they care very much about the collective and they are working to drive high performance. And that mentality works. It just works. Mm, I really love what you mentioned there about the call to action of asking the interviewer a question. So it becomes a like a tennis match, you know what I mean? Versus this yeah. this one-way interrogation. That's really, really cool. So I hope people are listening to that thinking it's okay to ask questions. It's, it's a human-to-human conversation. I love that. I love that. So the second thing that I have written down that you mentioned, which also I think you really hold as somebody who's a charismatic individual, is being a great storyteller. So the question is, is how can sellers, in your eyes, become better storytellers so that they can maybe inside of the interview process, position themselves as the right people for the job. Okay. Couple of things that I think are really important. So I'm going to, I'm going to answer this in two parts. Number one, you have got to have some stories. So the most important thing is if you are going and you want to talk about in an interview, you know, a time when something happened, you need to have a time when something happened. Like you need to be able to relationally think about, you know, if I'm trying to demonstrate relatability or if I'm trying to demonstrate resourcefulness, you want to demonstrate it, not just tell about it. So if you can do that through the process, that's great. So if they're looking for storytellers, have a couple of great stories. And as you become, and I'm going to say this too, kind of progressing in your career, the first thing you should be doing once you get hired is go listen to some support calls. Go listen to some sales calls, not just sales even, but go just listen to how people are irritated on the tech support line, because then you're going to have some stories of how we came in and we actually got them working that report better. And then as soon as we did that, it shifted everything and you have some stories. If you're trying to get a job somewhere, Watch what other people are writing about, talking about. If you can watch some YouTubes or understand how different leaders maybe have been advising to sell that type of prospect, get some stories. So listen differently. I mean, I just told, I don't know if you know Zoe Hartsfield. I just told her the other day, she just took a new role. I'm like, the most important thing for you to do is to listen 
on the phone for at least, I mean, I did it instead of music. I would basically plan my admin time. I listened to two hours a day of calls for a long time. Most of my career, I would just listen. Instead of turning music on, I'd be banging out some reports, doing different things. And I just live listen as calls. I just hit the next one. I hit the next one. I hit the next one. And that showed me, I understood our prospect so fast. I understood their pains. I had story upon story upon story of where we were doing it well or where we weren't. And so you actually need to be interested and and listen, and then you will have them. And going into an interview process, you can also have them. Go Talk to a prospect that would be great for that and say, like, tell me about, you know, a solution that you've used that's similar. What's irritating? Tell me about this. Just ask a couple of stories. Hey, you probably have a friend who does something similar or might know someone else. Go ask them a couple of what is some irritations and then bring it up in the interview. My best friend, she has a salon and, you know, blah, 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 blah. Or the other day when I was in there, I tried to book and then this happened and this happened and this happened. And it was so such an irritation. I don't even know. So I'm passionate about this because I understand it differently. That to me is a big differentiator because you actually did the research, which research is a part of this job. So if you can show me Rather than tell me everything, but you're actually demonstrating it in this process, now you have my attention totally differently than everybody else who's just meh, 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 meh. <laughs> so, okay, I love this because you've mentioned the the word research, which I suppose lends itself beautifully to the third character trait that we've talked about today, which we said you possess, which is being a great listener, right? Which contributes to being a charismatic human being. So one part of that is research before the interview, for example, or before their application to really showcase that you're making somebody feel heard. But inside of an actual interview, if somebody's nervous like as hell, like crazy nerves, and all they're thinking about is the next thing that they're going to say so that they can sound smart, what can they do to be a better listener in the room if the amygdala has been fired and fight or flight is going crazy. Like how can they become a better listener and fight all of these other variables going on in that given moment? I think that's really a good question. When we get nervous, we speed up generally. So in moments like that, I, as the person is asking the question or getting ready to say something, I would take a nice deep breath and I would put a sticky note right there on my computer that says, slow down. And I would take a pause and I would slow down and I would watch my tonality. A lot of times when we get nervous, we start going up and then we, uh, 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 and it starts to create this strange vibe that makes me as a person listening, feel anxious. You know, I am feeling anxious now. That is one of the things I just did a training the other day with a team. And I said, if someone's starting to heighten you, you deliberately drop your tone lower. And I'm not talking just in volume. I'm talking about like (laughs) modulate your tone down and end your phrases with down statement. So, so pull it down because then it feels more confident just naturally. I feel more confident when I'm talking and I do that. Like I feel, I don't feel confident. Right. But when I say, you know, that's a great question. All right. So the way I would think about that is, and you know, we're now I'm, I'm feel more in control and they actually feel more in control as well versus somebody that's just feeling jittery, moving us along. And, and especially in that tonality, that's consistently moving in an upward motion. Like that does not feel good. 
Oh, I loved how you called out the idea of ending a sentence with an upward inflection, which basically has somebody asking questions. Like, as you said, hey, how you doing? My name is Ravi. And today I'm here to talk to you about this one thing versus, hey, my name's Ravi. And I'm here to talk to you about this one thing today, right? It's, it's such two very different ways of looking at it. And I really like how you called that out because it can really display, unfortunately, a lack of confidence, whether whether we're trying to get that to come across or not, it can really display that. So I really like that. That's cool. That's cool. And then let's say now the interview's done. Okay. So somebody's been in the room, they've walked away, and now they've got an opportunity to display charisma and stand out. What can they do after the interview to display authentic charisma? So number one, before you go into an interview, you need to know who you're interviewing with. I would already have emails ready to go to all of those people. So then you just simply fill in what you got specifically from that individual. Like if you're meeting three people in a day, I already would have the emails ready to go that shows preparation because you're going to hit me with that email moments after we speak. So I will be as an interviewer, like, wow, I just talked with her at 12. I got an email from her at 12, you know, 42, where she literally, so that shows me you were prepared, which shows me that you would do that with a prospect as well. Thank you so much for our time today. Here's what we got. You know, so I feel good about that. The second thing that I would say is be very specific about something that you learned from them directly. So I would say, I really enjoyed our time today. You can already have a bunch of this filled out and then say, One thing that absolutely astonished me, I did not know this, was when you said this. Or one thing I thought was really interesting about how you answered this question was this. And so you're being very specific about what you gathered from them. Then I would send that right away. And I would do it with some, if you could, with tracking, like use lavender or something like that. So you're able to see if they got it. If they didn't get it, then you need to do it another way. Be mindful. If you see that they didn't open it, didn't see it, then I would actually do it on LinkedIn and say, I just wanted to make sure that you did see this. I really enjoyed our conversation. Thanks so much for that. You know, here's the things that I gathered from that. So I would be very specific around those things. I try to tell our grads to do those things as well to show that shows me preparation. That shows me that you are being proactive. And it also shows me that you're really paying attention. You would have so many people are like, I try to send a thank you note. Some people don't send them at all. Okay. By the way, terrible idea. But I try to send a thank you note the same day. I'm like, same day, try to send it within an hour and be really specific. And guess what? You can, you're not that busy right now. Prepare beforehand. Because again, you're showing me, not telling me. Show me that you know how to do this then I am interested. Oh, that's juicy. That's a juicy nugget because I think a lot of people will definitely miss the thank you note or they'll do it the day later and they may not share a story about what they've heard, make the interviewer feel seen. And also, like you said, they're they're actually teaching, well, they're telling somebody or showing somebody a story about who they are and their values. That's dope. I really like that. I really, really like that. That's cool. So there we have it, ladies and gents. We've got really three ways to think about how to become more charismatic if you're trying to break into tech sales in 2023 and beyond. And it all boils down to 
creating an environment, as Christine said, which allows you to show up as who you really are so you can be present, calm, in the moment, a great storyteller, a good listener, and somebody who is sharing a story about their values, about not just what they want to do, but why they want to do it. So appreciate you, my friend. Now, who do you see? Actually, I'm curious. Who do you work with? Who do you see as somebody who's a charismatic communicator? You know who you should actually talk to is Jason oh, yeah. Rydell. He is our CTO. Oh, yeah. And he, so he's a totally different type of person for this specific conversation okay. because he is one of the most charismatic and emotionally intelligent people I know. And he is a technologist. I mean, so you would think of, you know, he's dealing with engineers and product and all of these things and, and is so relational. It's shocking. It's why he is mm. amazing at his work. But he, he's somebody you should keep for, he was love you. You would love him. Like you guys would chop it up. You know, it's funny. Some of the most charismatic people who I've come across would be quote unquote, either ambiverts or introverts versus I think there's this idea that old school idea that, oh yeah, you know how to talk. You should be on sales, You're which is such the wrong way of looking at it. Right. So I love that. I love that. I'll definitely, um, I might actually ask you for an introduction. That's all right, because that would be fun. Of course. That would be good. Oh, yeah. That would be dope. That would be dope. So listen, my friend, where can people go to learn more about you, your work, Aspireship, and all that good stuff? Well, of course, LinkedIn is a great place to connect. And I always love, you don't have to send me a big, long note and connection. I don't care. Like, I'm here for it. Like, (laughs) I know some people are really specific about that, but I'm not. Just say, like, Robbie's my homie and I'll be cool. But I think that you can always follow us on Aspireship.com. And really, I love learning from other people. So, like, let's just, you know, keep it a two-way conversation. It's super fun. and, And, yeah, that would be great. There you go. And ladies and gents, if you want to learn more about Aspireship, I'm going to hit you with the link to their website and some of their resources in the show notes. Go check it out. But next week, I'll see you same time, same place. And if you did enjoy the show, don't be rude. Hit us up with a review, man. Tell me what you found. <laughs> Tell me what you found of interest in today's episode. We wanted to hit you with something a little bit different, right? I, I told Christine just before, I was like, listen, I want to take this somewhere really, really different. And she was awesome. She ran with it. So hey, hit us up with a review for this episode. I'll see you same time, same place. Peace. I have a question for you, my friend. And that question is, is what would it take to have you subscribe to the Influential Communicator podcast and leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice? Because I tell you what, my friend, my big mission is to help B2B sellers and all listeners of this show sell more by becoming influential storytellers and communicators without without suppressing their personality and disowning their value. So, hey, the more the word gets out about this podcast, the more people we can gather on this mission. So if you could support me, then, hey, that would be dope. And if not, that's dope too. Either way, i got love for you, all right? I'll see you on the other side.